John Wesley, that uh, famous preacher, uh, would often preach with a bow tie and would have two streamers hanging down from it. And uh, there was this lady sitting out listening to uh, him preach, and she couldn't hear what he was preaching because of his tie and because of the streamers. That's what all that she did the whole time that he preached the sermon. At the end of the sermon, she came up to Wesley and said, Hey, uh, pardon me, but could you take a little bit of criticism? And uh, she says, The streamers are really bothering me. And he said, Oh, um, do you have some scissors? And she goes to her purse, and of course she grabs out the scissors. You know, the ladies with the scissors and everything else in the purse, you know. And she grabs it, and, and he said, okay, now do whatever you want with those scissors with my tie. And so she took the streamers and just scissored them right off. And they were gone. And Wesley stood there, and he says, now do you feel better? And she says, yes, I do. And he says, okay, now give me the scissors. And... He says, uh, would you mind a little bit of criticism? Your tongue is a little long and it bothers me. And I would, could you please stick it out and maybe I can take a little bit off? <laughs> uh, needless to say, he did not do that. But, you know, the most ferocious monster in the world has its den just behind the teeth. Uh, it only weighs a couple of ounces, and it's rather out of sight. You don't usually see it. But yet there is no force on this planet that carries as much power as the tongue. I uh, was uh, talking with Luke earlier, and I'm not going to butcher this one up, so I'm going to let you say that about the uh, the tongue dealing with... I'll let you go ahead and do it. Well, the tongue of a blue... Whale weighs the same as a full-grown elephant, but our tongue is more powerful. As small as it is, just a few ounces. <laughs> it's very powerful, isn't it? Um, Webster identifies this as the movable muscular structure attached to the floor of the mouth. This little two-ounce thing. We have to admit it, it is powerful, and we have to admit that it has actually. I think catapulted the world into global conflict throughout history. It's brought down empires, the tongue has. It's raised up leaders and actually instilled courage in deflated minds. So we see it does some good things, does a lot of bad things. In the 1930s, there was this nameless Austrian paper hanger and he rose to prominence in Germany. By 1933, he was proclaimed dictator of Germany. In 1938, the ears of the world were attuned to him as he was getting ready to speak from Nuremberg. There were CBS announcers at that time, believe it or not, and they reminded the listeners the entire civilized world is anxiously awaiting the speech of Adolf Hitler whose single word may plunder all of Europe into another world war. That was World War II. It happened. That was right. Um, a lot of inflammatory remarks that Hitler had on the, toward Czechoslovakia and then 
the Sudeten Germans, and all of a sudden we found out the whole world was engulfed in this global conflict, and one man's tongue, which was intent on attacks, venomous attacks, it was pushed on the world. And uh, that was, uh, you're talking civilized nations in the world fighting against each other, all the world. Most barbaric and repressive actions that you can think of during that time. And it started from that one man, that one tongue of Hitler as he spoke. Now we move into chapter 3 of James. And now someone might say, Ooh, James, you've gone from preaching to meddling. (laughs) Here we go. He's been meddling in our business for two chapters, actually. And now he really gets into the sticky issue. He's just made it clear that genuine faith will work, right? It will have works. We've seen that. We, We spent three weeks, I think, on just that topic. Now, if Christ has changed our heart, if we have a new birth... Uh, we have this faith that does do good deeds. And we, we want to do more, though. But, you know, now James is going to move from a generality. He really starts getting into details about the kind of works and, and uh, things that we're involved with. The specifics of words. Uh, the tongue. Genuine faith actually will want to lord over the tongue. It doesn't want the tongue to rule when you have genuine faith. With David, we would say this. In in Psalm 141, verse 3, you're all familiar with this. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. Well stated, wasn't it? That was from David, but it was really from the Holy Spirit. It was really from God, wasn't it? Well, he knows the awesomeness of the power of the tongue and what it can do. The monster in us really hasn't been absolutely tamed, has it? Even as Christians, uh, we know Christ. We know how sinful our tongues can be. Paul zeroed in on it in Romans 3, 13, and 14, where this one might be very familiar, which he'd quoted out of the Old Testament, of course, here. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving The poison of asps is under their lips. The throat, the tongue, the lips. That's the area that Paul was talking about. The mouth can be full of cursing. It can be full of blaspheming. It can be very bitter. And we know we still deal with the flesh. That nature of the flesh, it it wars against the spirit. Galatians 5 talks about that. The spirit is against the flesh. It hates the flesh. The flesh hates the spirit. Well, the tongue is one of the major battlegrounds in this war that we fight every day. And we must wage war daily on this front, the tongue. I think you would call James a pretty savvy pastor because he knows, and he knows the mind of man, he knows even the mind of the believer, and he knows that we're not desiring to gear up for the battle and face our own sins of the tongue unless we're reminded and and actually recognize the magnitude of this problem. And so therefore I have a title, in on, I think it's in your bulletin, The Enormous Possibilities of the Tongue. 
Now up there, I have the potential dangers of the tongue. I couldn't decide, so I used both. <laughs> um, at any rate, um, yeah, Zach, it's not your mistake there. That's, I, I meant for that to kind of be. Um, there were a lot of titles that I could come up with. And by the way, there are still a few more weeks dealing with this in Chapter 3, but um, better not tell too many people, otherwise we can empty this place out. Um, James just comes in with some illustrations, I think, that are just so vivid. You know, you can just see them. They're they're easy to see. You know, he opens our eyes here to the serious problem <laughs> that mankind has, that we have controlling that tone. And I think he just leaves us reeling uh, from this picture, this portrait that he gives us and uh, showing us how huge this problem is. Now, James borrows a lot from... Proverbs. You ever notice that? And even Psalms, and he borrows a, a lot from his half-brother Jesus. And so we have here the teaching of Proverbs and, and Psalms just kind of compacted together in this one chapter, even in this one section where we're at to, today. Matter of fact, it's kind of interesting. James talks about the tongue in all five of his chapters. As this epistle, this letter not too long, but in every chapter you'll see it. So it's uh, constantly threaded in there. And I think it stands out as probably the most potent exposition of what the human tongue is about ever written. Just in this one chapter here. Uh, he expounds the enormous possibilities of the tongue. Good and bad. But we can actually control it. And that's what he's going to say at the end of the fifth verse. So there, there is the possibility of being able to control that tongue. That's what we're after. <laughs> we want to control that tongue, right? It's a great concern to James, and I think it has to be a great concern on us. And we want to make an impact on us. So let's stand and let's uh, turn to James chapter 3, starting at uh, verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they will obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also. They are also great and are driven by strong winds, are still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Let's pray. Father, what a message it is that James has given here. And it's something daily that we deal with. And we know that we are given a gift to be able to speak, but how we use this gift and how we honor you is the big question. And we want this passage to ever be on our hearts that we would be able to control by your Holy Spirit the things that come out of our mouths. In Jesus' name, Amen. And there are still people here, so we'll move on. Go right to the first verse. James is rather uh, practical, isn't he? (laughs) 
This is a very practical book. It's good for everybody. At first, he's going to start talking to <clears throat> teachers. He starts off with that in the very first verse. So with that thought in mind, I, my mouth is really drying out. He gives a shocking statement here. First of all, he, he deals with teachers. and uh, First of all, they're, they're recognized teachers. You know, Don't be rushing into the teaching office. Don't rush into the preaching office. Don't be going in there just because you know you you think this is what you're supposed to do, but you really haven't checked it out. It's don't be hurrying into some kind of official ministry where you become a proclaimer and a, and a teacher of God's word. Now, of course, we know that this is definitely talking. I think to that office, uh, somebody who's gifted with that, but also uh, ultimately it's talking to all of us. And he'll say that in the same. Uh, section here for we all because um, we all teach but when he says let there not be many teachers what's James trying to do that, that's pretty shocking because the church needs teachers you know we uh, we're after teachers all the time and I think uh, as one said I think Curtis Vaughn in his commentary said that, that people in the church are to be more concerned about the fitness for teaching than with the external struggles of the office, the external struggles that can be whatever that uh, people are driven to it with wrong motives. Uh, there's an accountability to this uh, teaching thought, and uh, there's a character, there's a work that goes along with that office. So let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. And you notice every time that James addresses uh, uh, an issue, he says, my brethren. So, you know, he kind of keeps it calm. You know, it's like that uh, fist in, in the soft glove. Uh, but at the same time, he, he hits with it. But uh, he's saying, okay, listen, I want you to, to know, brothers, that uh, we all have this, this problem. Uh, teachers deal with words. Teachers have to deal with concepts. Teachers have to deal with ideas. They have to deal with illustrations and draw that. They have to deal with doctrines. Uh, and... Those kind of things influence, they shape people. They shape the people. They shape the uh, rest of the church. Words can make us and words can break us, right? So um, we we know that uh, we're talking about uh, words as far as the Nazi-led Germany, how uh, impacting those words were and uh, led to barbarism. Uh, it uh, words convinced uh, people, 900 people, I think it was, to drink poison-laced Kool-Aid in Georgetown, Guyana. That's a long time ago, it seems like now, doesn't it? Uh, was it Jim Jones, right? Yes. Sometimes you don't write things down. You don't have that. You could almost say George Jones. You know, no, it's Jim Jones. <laughs> and... Uh, but he, you know, he said something, and people followed what that is. You know, boy, how powerful is that? You know, just a tongue said that, and they did it. Words can move people to to change their way of thinking, which which can be good. You know, we are here to to get our thinking changed. But what if you have a right world view, and some man comes in as a leader, either the church or could be of the nation? And he spouts out things that are absolutely false. 
and go against what the character and nature of God is and His Word is. Uh, well, some people listen to that. We all know the impact that it makes on college freshmen as they go into universities uh, all over the world. And uh, those can be secular institutions and they can be even Christian institutions. God forbid, but it happens. And you've heard about the horror stories when kids who have been taught, uh, they've been taught in Sunday school, they've been taught in church all along, certain truths of the Bible, they were true, they were absolute right, and at the same time they go into that class and within the first couple of days their worldview is being confronted with something on the opposite end. They have to be very careful, right? We've all heard about those stories. So that's the, um, the, um, the idea there of what the teaching can do. It can lead to despair or it can lead to delight. Well, it is a good thing, but it can lead to a false assurance. It can lead to a true assurance. It can lead to a cynicism or it can lead to faith. Right? It could lead to discouragement or it could lead to encouragement. That's what we're all about, right? We're, we're here to be encouraged. We're here to get uh, to get our faith built up, to uh, being assured, uh, not some kind of confusion. It's here to lead to understanding all those things. And so as I look down through the years, there have been many teachers who have opened my eyes to God's truth. I, I think about the time whenever... I uh, was going to Sunday school. Even as a little kid, I, I was taught certain elements that uh, that were healthy, that were good. And and then as I got into my 20s and I started getting an interest in God's Word, and I, all of a sudden I couldn't get enough. And God led uh, uh, people into my lives, my life. Those lives were came into my life. And the next thing I know is that, uh, wow, that... This, this word here really has more than I can even imagine, and it dealt me into getting into uh, concordances and Bible dictionaries and then commentaries, and one man gave me a commentary, and I started reading, and it was verse-by-verse verse stuff, and then another guy talked about it, and then another guy told me about John MacArthur, who has probably made the most impact on me than any other teacher in, in all the world. Uh, and that is the style that I have followed, but there have been many others. He introduced me to people like Martin Lloyd-Jones, who has probably been seen as the expositor of expositors, at least in the last hundred years. And then uh, even reading the old dead people, the Spurgeons and the Calvins and the Luthers and John Knoxes and uh, John Owen, John Bunyan, on and on and on. Back to uh, Augustine. And all those guys have taught, and I've learned a great deal from them. Thank the Lord, because they explain the Scripture. It always goes back to here. But without men of God who God has given and gifted, He gifts those men. Even in the past, see? You know, today, he, he still gifts us so that we can learn about God. It's really that. So there's nothing, anything there to brag about. It all comes from Him, and it's about Him. Um, so I thank the Lord for them, uh, those teachers that made huge impacts on me and still do. Uh, didaskalos is the word there. 
those recognized teachers. I think of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 28. 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed them in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. There he mentions teachers. It's a gift. It's appointed in the church that there would be those teachers have that office. Then in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers. Hyphen there, pastor teacher. If you're a pastor, you have to, you have to be able to teach. If you're a teacher, you don't necessarily have to be a pastor, but pastors are teachers. And so that's how that is uh, in the Greek and hyphenated. That Those are gifts that are given to the church. Can you imagine if we didn't have the apostles? Well, we wouldn't have the New Testament, basically, would we? Um, how about if there were not uh, uh, the prophets that came along and, and they also got uh, revealed truth? that was written down along with the apostles. And for, of course, today we read this here. Everything that God meant for us to have is there. And evangelists, the ones who um, planted churches and started them, and uh, the gospel was given. And, of course, you think of evangelism. You think of good news given and church was, churches were started. And then they started other churches. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, we're one of those little churches that's that was just planted somehow by God. And, and here we are. And uh, we come together to glorify Him and learn about His nature, don't we? And how we are to fit in with that. He equips the saints uh, the, the pastor teachers do for the work of service so that they would serve to the building up by the body of Christ so they'd be edified until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That's what we're aiming for. The, we want to be the um, showing the person of Christ in our lives and as full as we can get it, right? And so God uses those particular gifts in the church so that we'd all be able then to give the gospel out to people everywhere. We're, we're given that <clears throat> uh, message by Jesus in Matthew 28. Um, it's also interesting uh, in, in our James passage where he says teachers, he, he is addressing Jewish Christians and they would be familiar with rabbi. Rabbi is really the same thing as, as teacher here. Uh, rabbi literally means great one. And to show you how elevated they had given the honor to these people who are rabbis, they were actually honored more than the parents. And I'm not saying that's exactly right, but they put them over them. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Having a little battle with my mouth today. I talked about that war that we have. <clears throat> maybe the enemy doesn't want to get into this. I don't know. I use that as an excuse maybe. <laughs> Can I have another drink of water? Please. All right. This is my last one. I can't have it. <clears throat> anyway, the uh, if a Jew was captured and a rabbi 
a Jewish person was captured along with that. So that Jewish person is a parent. If you have the opportunity to get that person out, get one of them out, who would you get out? It wouldn't be the parent. It would be the rabbi. Because he has the words that the people need. And so, you know, these rabbis started becoming very important in their own light. And so they loved the honor that they got out of it. They got, they got recognition. They just loved that kind of stuff. The fame, the power, and the duty that they had was just something that, uh, you know, people would just clam over. You know, a rabbi would actually be over uh, the, the parents. And, you know, the teacher is the one that brought their lives in the world to come even though they were brought forth by their parents into this world and, and were given life in that sense, this other life is even more important. So that's how esteemed that they took it. Uh, you know, the teachers, those rabbis, they might have liked the perks that went along with the office that they had. Um, they did love the praise. They did really go for the applause, uh, the attention, and even the financial gain that would come out of it, uh, these teachers might have gotten. So it became a, an attractive office to desire. And so you have those kind of people that were important to society, but yet you can see how far it can be taken, and all of a sudden it's really about their own glory. Believers uh, at that time, in the very early days of the church, for the most part were what you would consider, people then would consider to be the lowest end of society. Uh, they didn't possess a lot of the world's goods. They really had no applause coming to them. Um, so there was a lure in this office. All of a sudden you would see teachers who had authority and power that they would convey with this work that they had and even, you know, the people really didn't have access to scriptures. They didn't have Bibles like we have today. No e-Bibles, nothing like that. They had really nothing. They relied upon the teacher. They relied upon those scrolls at the synagogue. And the teacher would teach them. So whenever they had a question, guess who they'd go to? They'd go to the, the, the rabbis. And they'd ask all sorts of questions. And uh, that required an extensive use of the tongue on a part of the rabbis. Yes, they played an important part. The teachers of the early church played quite the part. So James says, Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that such as will incur a stricter judgment. That's not to discourage people from desiring to want to teach God's word and preach. Um, it's quite the opposite. You know, God wants those people to do that. And we are be, to be encouraging people to proclaim the gospel. To, and we are to be encouraging all of us to go pray, proclaim the gospel. It's essential. It's of the very essence to have teachers in the church. That's what we're about. We take the word of God and we teach it and preach it, right? We proclaim it and then we go out and we give it to others. There are plenty of scriptures that encourage that. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And, uh, boy, you know, Timothy's a really good place to go to when you want to know about pastoring and teaching. And you, one who desires that office needs to be into that book, uh, those books, constantly. And Timothy and Titus. First Timothy 1, 
said 3.1. Let's do that. Uh, It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a fine work that he desires to do. If one really has that desire, that's good. But then he starts giving qualifications in there, obviously, and it's about, okay, here's the thing. He's talking about, uh, you know, uh, his character, uh, how he is before the people out in the world, how he is before the people in the church, uh, how he is even in his family, all of those elements. Does he meet those uh, qualities that is there? And he's not to be a new convert, you know, that uh, he had become conceited. That's the whole problem. That's, That's where it all goes to because one becomes... Prideful. They can be very prideful in that position. And it says, fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. Uh, there's a stricter judgment, as James says. So it's something to really think on and ponder on. Uh, but we, we still say, it, you know, okay, this is a good thing. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16. Paul went around teaching the gospel everywhere. And he says, uh, verse 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. So there it was. You know, he, he said, woe is me. I've got to preach this. I have no alternative. I am to preach and teach the gospel. And, and it's not about a boasting, Right? I have nothing to boast of. It's it's all about Christ. It's all about Him. It's all about His glory. Um, so we give encouragement with it, but at the same time, James is saying there is a grave responsibility with this position. While we encourage people, there is a serious, significant responsibility with delivering this word. And Paul said he trembled in Corinth, if you read people like uh, John Knox, said he trembled at the pulpit. I'm not so sure if we're talking about he's going like this and just shaking in his in his boots, but we're talking about this is the word of God, and if it's not handled accurately, and you speak things that are not of truth or something you're not so sure about or you think you really know and you really don't and you say some things that are false, going to be held responsible for that. That's a position that has to be uh, very carefully, carefully considered. Um, very responsible. In Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, Ezekiel is in the prophet section, of course, and it's close to Daniel, Ezekiel 3, 17. Now here's a responsibility that is given to the prophet and is given to any man who's a Christian, actually, but anyone who has a responsibility over somebody. In chapter 3, can I find chapter 3, please, Dennis? Where is it at? Okay. Verse 17 Son of man, I have appointed you a watchman. He's going to watch over the house of Israel. To the house of Israel, whenever you hear a word from my mouth, okay, when, you, when you hear it coming from me, God, warn them from me. When I say to the wicked, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to warn the wicked from his wicked way, that he may live, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at your hand. 
You're responsible. Sure, he will die. He's responsible. But you're responsible for telling him that he is dead in his sins and his trespasses and his iniquities. And you must tell him. For if you do not tell him, he can go to hell. At the same time, I'm going to hold you responsible. Wow. This is a watchman. Yet, if you have warned the wicked and does not return from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered yourself. He's still responsible, but you have done what you're supposed to do. Again, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and I place an obstacle before him, he will die. Since you have not warned him, he shall die in his sin, and his righteous deeds which he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. However, if you have warned the righteous man that the righteous should not sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning, and you have delivered yourself. Boy, he covers all the bases there, doesn't he? I go, whoa, this is a watchman. This is one who speaks for God. This is a teacher. This is a pastor. It's really serious. Really serious. Look, look in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 17. It starts off with obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they keep watch over your souls, the watchmen, as those who will give an account. That's very sobering. Because that means that one who stands before you at this moment watches over your souls in prayer, thinking, realizing here's scripture, in counseling, whatever it may be. I'm a watcher over a soul. Souls. People. Many people to watch over. That's pretty incredible thought, because I don't get I'll give an account for that. First Timothy chapter three verse six. That that is very sobering. First Timothy three six. That's why men of God who have preached for many years, or especially think of the Puritans who trembled when they preached the word of God, but they they spoke with such authority you'd never know they were trembling. But as they read the scriptures through the week, they realized how weak and how sinful they were too. And they saw these kind of passages. First Timothy 3, 6, he says, And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall in the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church, so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. We're talking about the devil getting involved here. That is a grave responsibility. So, think of 1 Timothy 1, 7. Did we do that? I don't think so. Some men, verse 6, straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussion. They talk about things that it really doesn't amount to a hill of beans. There's more important things. There's the Word of God, and let's go into that. There's things going on out in the world and all that. I know that. I've been studying it for since the 80s, 
I've seen all the different things that can come down the lines. I, I know about the dollar bill and you know the the all seeing eye and all that. You know, it's it's kind of good to learn. I, I believe me, I, I studied that for years and I, I looked at. I, I didn't give up the scripture. And by the way, I don't say those things are, are not true, some of those things. And uh, th- there are conspiracies that actually happen. But if I spend all my time on that, how am I going to feed my people this truth and I just tell them about all those things? Those are good to know. And you will not, will not be surprised when these things happen. But if you're in the Word of God, you'll know that these things are not a God's truth. And you know what's happening out there. Uh, you know, I was consumed by by it quite a bit because I saw those things how they were coming about. And believe me, when you start seeing black helicopters <coughs> over your house and it's constant, you know, it's like okay, I'm just going to ignore that. There wasn't anything I was do. What am I going to do? Walk out and uh, out uh, side with uh, with a gun and start shooting at them or what? But they just they hovered over my house uh, more than one time, and. Um, that kind of gets you concerned what's going on up there, you know, when you hear it and then you go outside and you see that, you know. And and we hear about those things. And we know, don't be stupid, don't put your head in the sand is what I'm saying. But at the same time, this is where I have to spend my time at. You know, visit good books, be knowledgeable, but live in the Word, right? So even when I, whenever I'm reading uh, Puritan stuff or whatever, you know, books that are out there really good, I love to do that. You know, I, I love to be surrounded by those kind of things. But if it takes more time than being in this, then I'm in trouble, right? So it's just using uh, good judgment uh, on those things because there's a strict judgment coming from God. And so that, that's what I say. You know, I, I like I say, I, I'm not trying to say, hey, be stupid about things in the world. Uh, we're aware of them. And uh, if you're not, uh, well, you really haven't been around too much. But, uh, don't worry. Uh, we've been in the book of Isaiah. And I want to tell you what Isaiah is about. Do not be afraid. Do not be anxious. Jesus said that in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't be afraid. Actually, you know, don't, don't be worrying. Uh, it's good to be a watchman for people, say, hey, you know, but here's where it is. We win. I want to show, I want to encourage you here. Look at this. Let's go into the truth here. Let's go into God's Word and see what He says. And so, the stricter judgment, what's going on there? He's reminding how serious, how vital, how serious this is. It's significant. Um, we are under a more intense scrutiny than other people. When we say we, we're talking about the ones who teach and teach in a public way, knowing that we'll incur a stricter judgment. That's pretty incredible. When you really take that for what it's really saying there, stricter means greater. It's a greater judgment. It's a serious responsibility. And that will be reckoning before the Lord. We have to give an answer for what we have done. God takes the teaching of His Word, which He has given, seriously, and so should we. In Matthew 12, verse 36 and 37, the words of Jesus 
But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in it the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now it takes uh, some hermeneutics to, to figure that out. If we're talking about salvation, we're justified by, by grace. Justified because the faith that He has given to us, He counts us righteous. But in this, it's talking about our living, our outside living, and this is what we talked about last week. Justified there, in that sense, is we're justified by our works, which James talked about, right? And so Jesus is saying what James was saying, and he's using it with the tongue here. I think James, who might not have gone uh, to all the tours that Jesus did (laughs) in his teaching, all those stops, James wasn't with him. But here, now he's inspired by God's Spirit, for by the words you'll be justified. That will show. We're seen by people. We're seen by mankind, and they see what we do. They hear what we say. We will judge by that. And then ultimately, God will say this, 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 this. He'll bring forth that. We have some passages that, that deal with that. Let's turn, turn to First uh, Corinthians 4 or 5. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time. But wait until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. There's the problem. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. God will judge what is true, what is not, what what is good. He'll judge those motives. He'll bring to light the things hidden in the dark, whether they be good, whether they be bad. In chapter 3, Verses 13 through 15. Each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That's to a Christian. (laughs) That's a Christian. Uh, His... Uh, the gifts that he's been given, how has he used them? And if he used used them for the glory of God, then he will be rewarded. If he has not used them for the glory of God, he's used them for his own motives, then we see that he is judged by God in in that sense there. Um, Romans 14, verse 12. A stricter judgment, but he also is talking about judgment on all. He So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. There is still that account. Do we teach out of selfish ambition? Do we uh, have it really as a sense of divine constraint, though? Thomas Brooks said this concerning ambition. Ambition is a gilded misery, a secret poison, a hidden plague, the engineer of deceit, the mother of hypocrisy, the parent of envy, the original of vices, the moth of holiness, the blinder of hearts, turning medicines into maladies and remedies into diseases. High seats are never but uneasy, and crowns are always 
stuffed with thorns. Be not many teachers. Be careful with that ambition that you have. Can it be an ambition from God? Yeah. If it's from God, then you want to then you want to do it at the right time. Are we to give up on teaching in this light? No. But we're to guard our motives for teaching about the center of what it's all about. God's glory alone. That, I can't even grab it and stick it out here. Aren't you glad? That is what this thing is to do. It's to give glory to God. If we can start focusing more about talking the things of God, the less we will have the possibility of sinning with the tongue. If we're thinking on the things of God and say, well, I've got to go to the grocery store and we have to discuss, do we want this food here? Or we want this? <laughs> oh, well, we have to be biblical about it. <laughs> now, <laughs> we know we use common sense. But really everything is to be focused on His glory, right? So if the more we think on that, then the less we'll have a selfish ambition. One way to tame the tongue right there, right? And another one is that we are held accountable for our speech. I mean, that's really what James is is hitting on there. Now, in case you were saying, and James is saying this, okay, just in case you're thinking, okay, this is about teachers. I'm not a teacher, so I'm cool. James says this, if anyone, he starts with, if anyone does not, uh, oh, uh, wait. for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble, and what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle the whole body as well. There are stumblers. Anybody here ever stumbled? You ever stumbled? <laughs> we have a church full of stumblers here today, and you guys are lying. Nobody raised their hand up. No, we got one out there. <laughs> got another one, but <laughs> you don't have to put them up. But <laughs> boom. <laughs> yeah. Was James' purpose simply to talk about teachers? No. He uses the insights on teachers now to focus on non-teachers alike. And by the way, we are all teachers anyway. But he's talking about the power of the tongue. Here's what it can do. It has so many possibilities. Think of the possibilities. And if you're a Christian, you think, yeah, you know, I, you know, I can speak for the Lord. You know, I can, I can, I can give the gospel to, to a lost person here. You know, I, I can edify another Christian. You know, that that's all Christians should be thinking that all the time, constantly. Um, James is holding up the standard. This is what's necessary in a teaching role in the church, but it doesn't just mean the teacher. It doesn't mean everybody else can just slide with that and say, hey, I can still say whatever I want to do. We all stumble in many ways. For we all stumble in many ways. That's quite an assertion. He says all. Everybody. I think in this case, that's exactly what he means. <laughs> Sometimes when he says all, he's saying here's a whole group or, you know, you know what I mean? Um, and he's saying everybody in Jeff City was there. Well, not everybody. But he's saying there's a big crowd there, right? But in this sense, 
We all stumble. Just all across the board, right there. In many ways, we all sin in a variety of ways. There's so many different ways. And I'm glad that we don't have to hear them all. Teachers are to guard their lives. They influence people. Teachers will stumble. Teachers will sin. And so they must deal seriously with the sin in their lives. That means the students are going to sin as well. And they are to address the sins in their lives. I think the question posed here by James, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle a whole body as well. Uh, I think it's alarming the propensity for every one of us to sin. We all have our own different kinds of sin, but boy, um, do we disagree with James here or do we agree with him and say, he struck the bullseye. <laughs> we all stumble in many ways. But that That's good to know. Myself. I, I need to know that, right? I need to know. Keep in mind that James here is dealing with a, a believer's behavior. Christians are to act like Christians. We're to get serious about, about the living. And James has already covered temptations. Remember that when we dealt with tests and then the, the temptations and then laying aside the sins and then walking in obedience. You know, we walked all the way through that in chapter 1 and then chapter 2. And now he says we all stumble in many ways. That's kind of distressing sometimes, isn't it? Uh, we long to be clothed with Christ. Isn't that really what we're about? To be like Christ, to be clothed in, in, in Christ, uh, to show that kind of attitude that he always had. You know, he was tempted in everything, yet without sin. But yet, we all stumble in many ways. How can we start getting a grip on this problem of sin in our lives? How can we take action in that we could sin less and then please the very presence of Christ? Right? Um, we know the Bible's view of sin. We know the Bible's view of the nature of man. We know the Bible's view of the tongue, don't we? Uh, look in Proverbs 20, verse 9. You can look all over Proverbs, and if we did that, we would be here the rest of the day, I think. But uh, that's about wisdom. That's about living, the really, the Christian life. In Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say I have cleansed my heart? I am pure from my sin. Who can say that? We know that we battle with it. The holiness people. <laughs> oh, the ones who think they have arrived. They've gotten to a, a, a and that's what they're called, holiness. Yeah, because isn't doesn't John say that in first John one? Anybody who says they do not have sin, they're they're a liar. So that says, yes, even Christian. And he was writing to Christians there. Or people who were posing as Christian because he's got a dividing line on, on everything, black and white. Um, and that's right out of 1 John 1.8. Yeah. Romans 3.23, it all talks about that. Um, okay, go back to James. Um, okay, if anyone does not stumble what he says, he's a perfect man. Now James could say, okay, if you don't stumble, if you don't sin, then that means you're perfect. 
right? And we know that you are perfect, right? Able to bridle the whole body as well. He could be saying that way, but I don't think he's saying it in that way. The word there is teleos, and it means to reach a goal, to come to a conclusion, come to maturity. And we've seen this before in James. And we've seen that in other places where Paul wrote. It's dealing with coming to maturity. If you if you don't stumble, and now there's yeah we're all going to stumble, but if it's not a you know an occasion that's ongoing, he says you're a, a mature man. You're, you're able to bridle the whole body as well, and I think that's what we're shooting for. If we want to gr- get a grip on this whole of life, boy, watch what the tongue says, right? Get a grip on it. Um, if you were to Google the tongue and the dangers of the tongue and such and just speaking, not necessarily Christian sites, you'll see all sorts of things up there. You'll see somebody with tape on their mouth. You'll see somebody else with a zipper there. You know, just zip it up. Sometimes that's a good thing to do, right? But that doesn't mean that we're to always have it zipped up or have it taped up because he's given us this mouth to be able to speak and ultimately really to speak the things of God. And if it's not about His glory and it's about something else, then we need to look at that, right? Um, but to, it's about controlling the tongue, bridling the, the multitude of sins. Um, Alec Motyer says this, there's hardly a sin more pervasively exposed and condemned than sins of speech. Yeah. Genesis 3.12 the first actual sin following the fall, whenever sin happened there, was of speech. There's Adam speaking. Uh, in Romans 3, uh, the venom of asp is under the lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Romans 3, 13 and 14. That's right out of the Psalms. Isaiah said this in Isaiah 6, I am a man of un clean lips. Who said that? Isaiah, the prophet, the man of God, said, I have unclean lips. I have a sinful life. I live amongst people who have sinful tongues, who have sinful lives. I live amongst them. I recognize the sin. He saw it when he saw what? The holiness of God. You want to see your sin? Well, let the light turn on. And there's holiness. Bob just mentioned the holiness people who actually make a claim that uh, they don't sin anymore. And I've heard that from people. I've heard it several times, not from just one person. And there are denominations that even say that. But we are going towards maturity. But here we have Isaiah. I'm a man of unclean lips. Uh I think the tongue and speech is probably the primary evidence of our fallen state. You may not see somebody that you know, let's say an unbeliever, you may not see them ever do bad things, but they sure speak about it. They tell you all about it. They tell the things that they've done this weekend. You know, they tell you all about those things. Or you just overhear them. You hear the language that they have, and you go, ouch, man, that hurts. Or, man, that's... The language smells like trash going into my nostrils, you know. And and so we we hear those things. We hear this speech. 
but we want to be a mature people. So it enters into completeness, maturity, and that's that's what we uh, want to see. Psalm 39, verse 1. Get one out of the Psalms here again. I said, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth as with a muzzle while the wicked are in my presence. I'm not going to go along with their game that they're doing. Sometimes it'd be awfully easy to fall into their trap. So I'm putting a muzzle on. You know, I'm not in the. I'm around them. I'm not going to fall into the same thing. Uh, that's one who's becoming mature. If we're concerned about our speech, we're concerned about our thoughts. We must be concerned about our attitudes, right? Because of attitudes, it shapes into a content of our speech. And I will guarantee you, eventually your attitudes will come out in your speech. And if you have unbelievers on your Facebook, you will see attitudes that are not honoring God, that are not favorable, and it shows the very attitude of what their whole life is about. Some people complain, and that's all they ever do is complain and complain and complain. And then you see other people, they're giving Scripture out, they're giving encouragement for believers, and whether it be quotes from Scripture, quotes from whoever, you know, just really good thoughts. We see their attitude. And, uh, boy... How about uh, the way that uh, people give attention to their relationships and how they use the tongue there at home or even in the church? And if it's left unchecked, sin against uh, one another with our own tongues. Then, my, it's ten till. Okay. Part two. <laughs> now, if we put... And, and, and all this is self-explanatory, and this is why I left this to the end. It is pictured out, and I really don't have to say a lot of words about it. I could, and that'd, that'd be okay, but here, here we go. Here's the picture. Here's the illustration. I don't have it up up on, on there, but this is easy to put in your own minds. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouths so that they'll obey us, we direct their entire body as well. You take a horse, a thousand pounds of strength, raw power, the fury that a horse can have, though, too, and a horse carries... Uh, hundreds of pounds with ease, right? You take a small piece of steel there, you attach it to leather straps, and all of a sudden the fury that a horse can have out of a thousand pound animal is now controlled. They can rage out of control, but there's a bridle that's put on to handle them and to handle the with the reins. The, the, we, we should put the reins on our passions of life. And then he uses the rudder of a ship. Take a big old ship and there's a little bitty rudder on there. This tongue, how, how, how big is it, right? Now, an elephant has a huge tongue, right? And, and, the, and the whale has the huge, huge tongue. But we have a little bitty tongue. Ounces. Look what it does. And, and so he said, okay, you don't get that one. Okay, let's go to the ship. Okay, we, we did the, the horses. Uh, you say, well, I don't understand horses. Okay, well, look at the ships also. Though they're so great. He's talking about these big vessels and are driven by strong winds. 
They can be driven by the winds and are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. Now, the storms and the winds, if you don't have that thing under control, it could take it anywhere, right? (laughs) And so can our feelings. So can our attitudes, our thoughts. We could just go everywhere. You know, there are thoughts that come in our mind. Man, I'm glad I didn't say that. Oh, there went another one. You ever have those? You don't? Oh, no. No. You have them all the time. You say, man, I'm glad I didn't speak that one out. Thank you, Lord. Um, most often, it's best, if we don't have anything good to say about something, what's the rule say? It's best not really to say it. You know, because it's going to come out of here. What's our attitude, you know? Um, unless there's something that really has to be said. Um, storms of life, trials of life can come along, and we can either exercise control over what's happening by peering into the promises of God, or we can let those emotions go with that, and all of a sudden you hear people just saying all sorts of, I'm so worried, I don't know what I'm going to do now. You know, they're just flustered and everything. And yet at the same time we said, hey, there's a control here. The tongue must be controlled. The flesh, the flesh wants to really do it. Oh, God has wise control if we let him take it, right? Um the last one just sums up everything what we talked about. So there again, number two and number three just didn't take too long because it says here, so also, and he sums it up, the tongue is a small part of the body, like the bit and the horse, or like the rudder that's so small compared to that great vessel and it's controlled by that. The tongue is the same thing. It's a small part of the body. It's not as big as your head. It's not as big as your arm. Uh, you know, it's not even as big as, you know, your feet, you go on and on with that, you know. Uh, it's a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Uh, the tongue, it, it's like a switch. You control what you want on and what you want off, right? You, you turn the switch on, you turn the switch off. The tongue controls the inward parts of life. It shows outwardly what you think and what you are but what it says. So the response is made outwardly. So what's inside we can expose from that tongue. Uh, It's like saying this, control your tongue or it will control you. Give not your tongue too great of a liberty, lest it take you prisoner. I didn't think that up. I borrowed it from somebody that, that didn't have a name to it. Control our tongue. Now, that boasting there, yeah, it, it could. Uh, a small part of the body, and yet it boasts a great thing. See, there's the thing about, you know, it can go and boast. It can mean that. But I'll tell you what I think it probably is. The boasting is not really implying an evil practice here. Sometimes, if we're talking about boasting in the Lord, it implies a justifiable boast. So if we read it, the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts. It does great things. It has great possibilities. Remember the title that I gave on the bulletin? Oh, the possibilities of the, the tongue. Great possibilities, right? What James is explaining is that the tongue is of great importance, and it can, can control the inward passions of life. Or it doesn't control those passions, and you are under control of it. 
we can control the tongue, we can deal with those other things. There's a direct correlation there between the unbridled tongue and the sinfulness in our lives. Or having a bridled tongue and the godliness of our lives. Wow, the tongue has huge possibilities, doesn't it? Which way is it going to go, right? And that's what he's he's done. We did our five verses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your glory. May what we speak about, as we're reminded, we know these things, but oh, we need to be so reminded of the sinfulness of us, sinful things that we can talk about or speak. And yet at the same time, we know because of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit can be seen. And the holiness in our lives can dominate. And by that, we can edify others. Lord, help us to control. We can't in ourselves do it. We know that. And we come running to you saying, help me better in my speech today here. Help me to give glory to you in everything that I speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, before I forget, we're, we're going to have the Lord's Supper here as before we close. Uh, Tuesday night, I think it's still on. Eldon's birthday here at at the church at 5.30. Invite everybody here. You may not uh, usually make it on Tuesday night, but if you can, bring, just bring a dish. And, and uh, we don't know what we're going to come up with, but it'll be interesting. It always is. It's always good. Uh, but... Um, so and and maybe uh, we can kind of get some reminiscing, uh, be thinking, you know, hey, you have a question for Eldon? What, what was he doing before you ever met him? You know, or you know, what what are the things that he really likes? Or what's what's his favorite verse? What's his favorite book of the Bible? You know, some of those things. What did you do when you when you? What's that? We know that. We know that one. That's right. That's right. So. At any rate, if you get a chance, and we'll have Bible study after that, but we'll we'll go from uh, it'll probably start somewhere around five thirty ish, and then um, we'll gather in uh, after that one there that is, and uh, uh, we start in Isaiah chapter forty, which the light is turned on in the book of Isaiah on chapter forty, and it's all about the sovereignty, the deity of God, and. Just, if you want to see praise, you see it in chapter 40 through 48. That's what we're doing Tuesday night. This, we are proclaiming. What's that? How can we see it when we're going so fast? What? From 40 to 48. Oh, well, wait and see. (laughs) (laughs) We are doing a jet tour through Isaiah. Otherwise, I know we'd be there forever. It wouldn't be bad. Matter of fact, from 40 through 66, we could go ahead and spend the rest. And who knows, we might come back and do that um, sometime next year. But we're just kind of going through it and getting a good overview of it. So um, we, we um, through the month of December, we're, we'll be finishing that study of Isaiah. Cool. We have like four weeks. So, now, we proclaim Christ's death. We proclaim it with our tongue. We also proclaim Christ's death by partaking of the elements that he's given to show that 
we are trusting in that sacrifice for our salvation. That's what we are proclaiming, even with our mouths shut today, or at least yours are. <laughs> but we proclaim life. Thank you.